You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. We're continuing in our series today in 1 Peter. Last week, Pastor Jeremy gave a great message, um, and uh, the message that he gave was focusing on the idea of how do we be exiles and relate to one another, relate to others in our world. And, um, you know, we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And and so uh, how do we relate to people differently than the world does. That was, that was the idea. And so we, we actually uh, relate to people differently because we are a new humanity, right? Uh, we are a new person God has created through Jesus Christ. And so that's where we were last week. This week, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, talking about the topic of suffering. And I believe that this is going to be one of the most significant messages for you, for your uh, family, uh, for your relationships, um, and for future generations. Because listen, when you went to school, when did you ever take a class on how to suffer? None of us have ever, growing up, going to school, taken a class on how to suffer. And so what Peter does, what Peter's going to do in chapter 4, is he's going to help us uh, think about what we want to do when we're suffering and what we're, what, what we're not to do when we're suffering. And you know, Jesus in the Gospels, he says that we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him. And what that means is at least two things that that means is that Number one, Jesus is going to suffer. Number two, those that follow him are going to suffer. And so we need to know what, how are we going to handle suffering, right? Because the suffering is going to come, but what are we going to do with our suffering? What, and then what are we going to learn from our suffering so we can help others who also go through suffering? And so when it comes to suffering, I want you to think about whatever you're going through right now, uh, that... Uh, you know, so some of you might be suffering f- physically. Uh, some of you might have had surgery and you're suffering from some pain of post-surgery. Some of you might have some lingering uh, physical problems that, that, you know, the pain just never goes away. I remember when I was a young adult and uh, I had some stomach uh, issues where I had like really bad acid reflux. I don't know if you've, any of you have had that. And in order for me to actually sleep at night, I'd have to pile pillows up uh, behind me so I could uh, actually get rest at night, so I could actually fall asleep at night. So for some of you, it's uh, physical. For others of you, it's financial. Maybe you made a bad investment this past year and you lost all that money, or maybe you lost a job and you're struggling just to pay the bills. Maybe for others of you, it's mental. You're struggling with your thoughts. Others of you, it might be emotional. You're going through just a really tough season emotionally right now. Uh, Others of you might be uh, facing some relational suffering, uh, strained relationships with your family or uh, friends. And uh, how many many of you, uh, maybe it's spiritual. Uh, You wonder where God is and what he's saying and doing and how you're going to respond to him. Everyone deals with different types of suffering, and sometimes it can be very complicated, sometimes it can be very multi-layered, but suffering is an opportunity to teach us things about God, and it's an opportunity for us to become more like Jesus. You know, you can't always choose the suffering, 
but you can choose what to do with your suffering. And this is where Peter's going in chapter four, which we're going to look at. When suffering comes, the question today is, what are you going to do with it? And how are you going to respond to it? So the last thing I want to say by way of introduction today is be, before we get into the passage is that the most helpful and the most harmful people in the world have one thing in common. They all typically have gone through some tremendous suffering. Think about the people in, the, in your life that have been the most helpful to you. The interesting thing is a lot of times the most helpful people in our life have gone through some tremendous suffering, haven't they? They've been through suffering. They know what it's been like. And then as you come alongside those people, they, they, they have already gone through it. And then they can help you go through it, right? Those are the helpful people in our lives. And what do we say about those people? We say, you get it. You get me. You understand what I'm going through. But then there's also the harmful people uh, in our lives. And they also, a lot of times, have gone through tremendous suffering. And what's interesting is you have the helpful people who typically have responded in a good way to suffering. They've learned from it. They've responded, if they're Christian, they've responded in a godly way. Uh, and, and, and then they're also helping others who are going through suffering. But the harmful people, for whatever reason, right, um, they, they've been hurt. They've gone through a painful season. And then they pass the pain on to others. They haven't learned from the suffering. And then they want to actually make others suffer. Those are, those are the harmful people. And, you know, as I was preparing this message, uh, you know, maybe this is because I, I'm a little weird, but I thought, you know, let, I wonder what happened with Mother Teresa when she was growing up, when she, uh, what, what was her childhood like? And I found out that Mother Teresa went through some, uh, some suffering. Uh, she went through some suffering. She was a, a daddy's girl. Uh, she loved her dad. They had a great relationship. But the, at the age of eight, her dad passed away. But what was interesting is that her mom was a Christian, and her, her mom helped her to process the pain with Jesus. She brought her to church. She brought her to prayer. She brought her to the Bible. She brought her to Jesus. And Mother Teresa grew up to be the Mother Teresa that we know about, right? Um, and, you know, I'm telling you, if you have a bad day, there's no other type of person that you would want to show up than somebody like Mother Teresa, right? <laughs> she's, she's as nice as it gets. That's the type of person that you want to show up. Now, uh, contrast that with um, uh, something else I was uh, thinking as I was preparing this message. Uh, again, maybe this is because I'm a little weird, maybe because I, I like crime dramas. But I thought, who was the worst serial killer in all of history? And he's a Brit, uh, so congratulations to you Brits for being famous for having the worst serial killer in all of history. Um, his name is Harold Shipman, and they, they know that he killed at least 218 people, and there's a lot of others that they wonder about. But Harold had a similar childhood. Uh, he grew up, uh, really got, was really close to his mother. He was a mama's boy, had a great relationship with his mother. But at the age of 17, his mom passed away uh, due to a long-term illness. And, you know, for Harold, uh, one of the things that happened to him is he didn't, deal with, he didn't ha deal with the pain in the same way. He took the pain that he felt from losing his mother, and he transferred that pain to others in killing all of those people, right? He multiplied the pain that took his mother's life. And so you have 
the, the different ways that people respond to pain, re respond to suffering. On the one hand, you have somebody like Mother Teresa who, who uh, responds to it in her way and grows up and is super helpful to people, uh, many different people. And then you have somebody like Harold who grows up and transfers that pain as super horrible to, to many people. And, and so what I'm trying to show you by uh, comparing these two stories is the difference between responding in the spirit and responding in the flesh. The difference between bringing it to the Lord and not bringing it to the Lord. This is the difference because the truth is sometimes we, you know, go through similar types of suffering, but how we respond determines the trajectory we move in and ultimately the legacy that we leave. So let me ask you, how many of you have had, how many of you have had harmful people in your life? I know I have. Uh, you know, these harmful people, they, they, they haven't learned from their suffering, they get bitter by it, and then they hurt others. You know, it's been said that hurt people hurt people. And these harmful people, you know, they've been through these tremendous, uh, uh, horrible times of suffering. And, and if, you know, if you look back at their experiences in the past, you probably realize that there's reasons for why they are the way they are. But those reasons aren't excuses. Because as Christians, we know that those reasons can be uh, overcome, right, by the grace of God. So this is where Peter goes, and what he's, he basically says is this. When suffering comes to you, you really have two choices. You're going to respond in the flesh, and you're going to sin, or you're going to respond in the spirit, and you're going to serve. So suffering will, will come. It's not if it comes, it's when. So let's jump in to 1 Peter chapter 4 and talk about option number one, suffering and sinning, to suffer and sin. First Peter chapter 4, verse six, uh, verses 1 to 6 says, Since therefore Christ, he's gonna, so he's going to focus us back on Jesus and his suffering. So therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, that's his physical body. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We've got to get our minds straight, right? Our mind needs to be focused on Jesus and following his example when we're in the midst of suffering. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. Right, so that's the flesh. That's the sinful, rebellious response, okay? And then, uh, and then Peter goes on, so it's no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's the Holy Spirit response, right? That's the supernatural Holy Spirit response, uh, means, the means of serving, Verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, or the non, you could say the non-believers, the non-Jews. The non um, you know, th this, the first Christians were Jewish, right? And at, when the gospel went beyond the Jews, it went to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, the, the, a lot of them were Roman, had a really bad reputation among the Jews, right? Their lifestyles, uh, their behavior. And in fact, the Roman world makes our world look really tame in terms of morality. And so there was a, a lot of horrible stuff that the Gentiles uh, were associated with, that they were known for. And so uh, what were the Gentiles doing? Well, Peter says what they were doing, that they were living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Maybe before you became a Christian, that was your Saturday night. Verse 4 says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. So what he's talking about is it's the whole cultural, whole cultural current. 
if you jump in to that current, it leads to all forms of different self-destructive behaviors. And then Peter goes on and he says, and then they malign you, verse 5, but they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. That's Jesus who's going to, give in, who's going to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this is why the gospel, the good news of the suffering of God for the forgiveness of sin was preached even to those who are dead. So first of all, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that somebody went back, uh, uh, went back and um, somebody preached the gospel to people after they were dead and gave them a second chance. The Bible is very clear that, uh, you know, it, the Bible says it's appointed for a man to die and then to face judgment, okay? So it's not, it's not that. What it means is that that same message were, was heard by those who are now dead when they were alive, and now they live with Jesus, with God in heaven, okay? Um, so Peter continues, though they were judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit. So that's the supernatural response, living in the spirit. And so what he's saying is that when we are suffering, we're either going to respond out of the flesh or we're going to respond out of the spirit. And every time you have a decision to make, there's only two places that you will go that ultimately determine the best course of action. The flesh, which is your sinful, rebellious nature, fallen nature, or the spirit, which is, uh, which is as Peter says in verse 2, finding out the will of God. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who empowered the life and, um, and the suffering of Jesus, and which also empowers uh, you as a believer to live in the footsteps of Jesus and to use your suffering to become like Jesus. So now having said that, let me just say that as one of your pastors, I, I know that, you know, for some of you, you've gone through some tremendous suffering in life. Uh, for some of you, you presently are going through um, some really tough things. Uh, or maybe you have anxiety because you see suffering on the horizon. Um, you see suffering in your, in your future. And um, you know what? If we make the decision to live out of the flesh, the flesh is only concerned about the self. Okay? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants you to be concerned about God, others, and yourself. The flesh doesn't want, doesn't want you to be concerned about God and others. The flesh only is concerned about the self. Now, let me tell you what will happen if you're suffering and you choose to live out of the flesh. You will be selfish. Uh, Peter talks about what this looks like. The flesh is very selfish. It's very self-destructive. And so he gives us sort of a checklist here in the first part of this chapter. And we're going to go through that checklist together. It's, it's like a diagnostic. And so as we go through this checklist, we're going to answer this question, am I self-destructing? Am I self-destructing? So the first one is sensuality. And this is a question of where do you lack restraint? Is it with your finances? Is it with your anger? Is it with your tongue? Where do you lack restraint? Once, you know, you can get emotional, you know, uh, you can get passionate, you can get fired up uh, by the suffering that you're experiencing in life, and you can make some really poor decisions. And you know what? Sometimes when we're in that place, we can say, you know what, those, I made those poor decisions because of what I'm going through. Look at what I'm going through. 
But you know, the reality is you're just hurting you. You're hurting you and you're hurting everybody around you by making that type of decision. You're taking that pain and you're multiplying that pain. And that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to be self-destructive and just focus on the self. So the second one here he talks about is passions. Now, we know that all passions aren't bad. And so what Peter is talking about is he's talking about evil desires. He's talking about evil, evil desires. And uh, we, we all have things that uh, we deal with in our flesh that are like gravity. And if we don't fight against them, they're going to pull us down with maybe the eventual consequence as, uh, of actually burying us. Okay, so those are evil desires. The next one here is drunkenness. This is any sort of addiction or self-medication. Um, and this is the type of thing where you're drinking excessively in isolation. Or, you know, every time you go through suffering, you're, you're uh, taking a drink or you're taking a hit. And you're doing all of that type of stuff alone. It's one thing to go out with friends and have a glass of wine. It's another thing to drink excessively at home when you're all alone. That's a problem. Drinking parties that Peter talks about are types of parties that you go to where you drink so much that you wake up the next day on, uh, you, you, you actually become unconscious and you wake up the next day not knowing where you are, uh, not knowing how you got there, and not knowing who you were with the night before. Okay, so that, that's the kind of idea that, that Peter is talking about with drinking parties. And then Peter goes on uh, with the list and he talks uh, about orgies. What does that mean? You know what that means. Don't look it up on Wikipedia, okay? Pastor Dave told me to look it up. No, I didn't. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna move on. The next one here is lawless idolatry. Um, now, you know, we don't talk much about idolatry. It's not common to, you know, chat with somebody and talk about that. So um, let me just give you a simple definition for idolatry. I idolatry is, uh, it's an idol is something that um, anything in your life that takes the place of God. Okay, that's what an idol is. And, you know, people will find all types of things to replace God in their life with. Right? And these things steal our hearts away from God, and it becomes a slippery slope. And you can see that with the progression here in this checklist, right? And so before you know it, we're doing horrible things in response to the suffering that we're going through. And that's what sin does. That's what walking in the flesh does. And so we think we're in control, and then we lose control. So if you've been living out of the flesh and you start living out of the spirit, people says people will start maligning you. They'll be talking bad about you because they feel like your behavior is judging their behavior. So let me ask you a question. You know, how many of you, when you became a Christian, uh, your family did not like your new lifestyle? Maybe you became a Christian and you had to break up with that boyfriend or girlfriend and your family did not like the changes that they, they were seeing. Um, and, and so those who are living out of the, the flesh can respond to someone's new lifestyle by maligning them, by talking bad about them. And what Peter says is, he says, okay, when you're suffering, uh, don't feed the flesh. Be selfish or self-destructive. Go to the spirit and consider Jesus. So that's what he's talking about. So Peter started off the chapter here um, in verse 1. But since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, right? So Peter's like, okay, when you're suffering, you can think about yourself after you think about Jesus. 
Um, listen, we have a suffering servant that we serve as Lord, right? Um, Jesus was beaten, was bruised. He was murdered for our sin. And, and so we have somebody that as the Holy Spirit empowers us, we can make it through our suffering by keeping our focus on Jesus. Did Jesus respond in the spirit or in the flesh? He responded in the spirit, right? Did, he didn't respond in the flesh and sin. He was perfect. He was absolutely perfect. He always responded in the spirit. Um, so let's follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Second thing here, the second option we want to talk about today is um, to suffer and serve. So that's where Peter pivots. He pivots to this second option that you can suffer and serve. He continues in verse 7 by saying this, the end, the end of all things is at hand. So we tend, we tend at, to think of time in terms of days, weeks, years, decades, uh, you know, millennia. God doesn't think in time, about time like that. He thinks about Jesus. He thinks about the first coming and the second coming. The first coming is Jesus coming. He lived a life, died, rose again so that we could spend eternity with, with God the Father. And then his second coming is still yet to come. And in between, this is known as the end times, right? Um, and, uh, and so as we live with the end in mind, we re-engineer our lives to live for the last day, because that's the most important day, isn't it, of our lives? In verse 7, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled. How many of you think that our world is doing a good job with being self-controlled? <laughs> it's not, is it? Uh, things are out of control, uh, Peter says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. So he goes on and he says, for the sake of your prayers, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Peter wants us to stay committed to loving people in our lives. You might say, well, Pastor Dave, you know, I tried loving this person, but it didn't work out. Keep loving them earnestly, as Peter's talking about. Um, Since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, show hospitality to uh, one another without what? without grumbling, yeah, without complaining. So what he says is if you're going to choose the way of the Spirit, which is the way of Jesus, you're going to choose to be self-controlled and sober-minded, motivated, motivated by the end, right? Jesus is coming back. And then you're going to serve others around you in different ways. Well, what ways? Well, Peter talks about those ways. He says uh, first here, so you can pray. And when you're suffering, when you're hurting, when you're frustrated uh, by the suffering that you're going through, when you're emotional, prayer actually helps you to process the pain. How many of you are verbal processors? I, I know I am. Uh, you know, preachers uh, are verbal pro processors. I, you know, I, I love to process out loud ideas. I love to just process things out loud. I, I know probably uh, Virginia doesn't always want to hear my ideas or my, my processing out loud, um, but that's how, that's how I process. I process out loud, and it, and it really helps me. And, it, um, and in prayer, you can verbally process the pain of your suffering, verbally processing with the Lord rather than with others. It's ultimately the safe way to process what you're going through. And if you want to know what that looks like, Go to the Psalms. The Psalms are a great place to go to find people who are dealing with tremendous types of suffering 
who are talking to God about it, who are living it, who are complaining about it, who are, uh, who are just crying out uh, in their struggle about it to God. So prayer helps us process what we're going through because oftentimes when we're suffering, we feel it, but we can't explain it. So Peter goes on to say that we should serve one another by loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What he's not saying here is that love covers up the evil, okay? But it covers the one who is doing evil. Not that love covers the sin, okay? But it covers the sinner. He tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, don't cover up evil, if somebody's stealing or abusing or committing a crime, it's not like the Bible says to hide it. The Bible says to heal it. And to do that, we actually bring, bring it out, right? We bring it out into the light, what's going on, to cover the person. And by doing that, we only involve people that are going to be part of the solution. How many of you have gone through suffering and you shared with somebody about your suffering, and then they brought in a bunch of other people who were not helping you with the solution. How many of you have been there? I know I have. The idea is that we're going to get this person the help that they need, but we're going to do so only with the people that are the most helpful. I'll give you an example. Imagine you go to the hospital, you have a hernia, you go in, into the hospital, and you know how they have that check-in area where they have to check you in? And so imagine the check-in person saying to you, oh, you think you have a hernia? Well, how about we check it right now, right here? Right here? <laughs> and like you're by the waiting room and everybody else is looking at you. Well, I know I wouldn't want them to check, check me out there. I know those people probably wouldn't want to you know, see what's going on. So no, right? They take you back into a private examining room and uh, you know, they, they put the gown on you or whatever they need to do. And then who comes into the room? The doctor comes into the room, the nurse comes into the room, family member, close friend, if it's a child, a parent will come into the room. That's, that's, where, you know, that's where you want them to check you out, not in the waiting room. Uh, so that's the idea here behind love covering the sinner. We're here to help, but we're bringing in people who are going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So Peter continues in verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, these times were tough. Uh, the, the Peter's talking to the church in a time of great persecution. Uh, people were losing jobs. There, a lot of suffering was going on. And he says, be hospitable. There were people that were in need. And even though the Christians were hard-pressed, they were still called by God to be generous to help those people who were in need. And so what this looks like at Redemption is that we have life groups and teams that pull together when people are in need. You know, at the beginning of the summer, Tina, she's one of our uh, Dream Team members. Um, beginning of the summer, Tina had surgery. It's a pretty major surgery. But you know what was great is that our Usher team, uh, the team that she's a part of, and by the way, if you're looking for a team, we'd love to welcome you on the Usher team. Pastor Dave, you're shameless in promoting, promoting the teams. Um, so Tina had, had a great team just come around her during that uh, post-op time. They brought meals uh, for her. They supported her, uh, encouraged her. They prayed for her. It was a, just a great opportunity to see the hospitality that Peter is talking about here. When somebody's going through suffering, we help somebody in their time 
of need. And so that's the type of thing that, that Peter is talking about. Who are you serving with? Let me ask you this. Who are you serving with that when you are in need, there are people who you can reach out to for help? Who are you serving with, in a group with, that when they hear about your need, when, when you hear about their need, you have an opportunity to be hospitable, to be generous? If you're not in smaller communities around here and all you do is come on Sundays, that's not going to be an opportunity for you to help others, right? You're not going to hear about those opportunities. You're not going to be in a, in, a, in a community that is going to be ready to help you when you're going through your time of suffering. So um, in the remainder of the passage here, Peter really leans into this idea of community. Uh, he really wants to get it across to the believers that they are better together, that they need each other. And I know that hard for us who are coming from a very independent mindset, right? Like a culture that prides itself on going it alone and getting through life. Listen, I come from a family where, you know, you, my, my parents could be going through great suffering and you would never know about it. They wouldn't tell anybody. They, they, could, they, could, they could be through, going through some of the worst suffering ever and no one would ever know because they had this mindset that I got to do it on my own. I don't want to involve anybody else. That's not, that's not the Christian way. That's not the way that, that, that God intended it. You know, each one of us has been through certain things in life, through different types of suffering, uh, I, I would imagine. And those types of experiences give us tremendous insights. And let me tell you this morning that, listen, you know, somebody needs your story. Somebody needs to hear about how you suffered, how you handled that. And it might not be perfect, but you know what? It's going to encourage them. It's going to be helpful for them. Peter continues in verse 10, and he says, As each has received a gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. He's talking here about spiritual gifts, capacities, abilities that God has given you. Use it to what? To serve, right? You can sin when you're going through suffering, or you can serve. Then in verse 11, we read, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I want to hit two big concepts here related to this last part of the passage. You know, he distinguishes here between an owner and a steward. Um, uh, and, and so let me ask you, in your life, who is the owner? If you're a Christian, hopefully you say God is. But what I want to ask you today is, do you really believe it? Do you really live like God is the owner of your life? That's the question. God is the owner. You are the steward. Let me give you an example of this, this idea. Uh, how many of you, you have money in a bank, right? Probably most of us, all of us have money in the bank. Well, what's the bank? Is the bank the owner or the steward? The steward, right. Uh, now, imagine you put your money in this particular bank, and after a week, you're like, you know what? I want to go buy a car. Right? I'm going to pay cash for a car. So you go to the bank and you say, hey, you know, um, I need this money for, to buy a car. I want to take out some cash or I want to check for, for this purchase. And they say, oh, well, 
you know what, Susie, um, she's not doing so well. She's uh, blew a little bit too much money at the casinos and she's having a hard time paying her rent. So she thought, you know what, I'm gonna go into your account and uh, borrow some forever. <laughs> what would you say to that? You'd be like, I'm calling my lawyer, right? That's not right, why? Because the bank is the steward, right? You gave the bank your money to steward, they're not the owner. And so we see, we own things and then we entrust things to others to steward them well, right? And when they don't steward them well, there's consequences to that. So let me ask you again, in your life, who is the owner? God is the owner. And this is why, you know, I ultimately believe there's a lot of people that don't become Christians because, you know, they love the idea that God is going to forgive them of their sin if they put their faith and trust in him but they don't like that he gets to control their life. <laughs> they love it that he picks up the tab for their sin, but this whole idea of ownership keeps them from actually making that decision. So that's why Jesus is Savior. He forgives you of your sin, and he's Lord in that, in that he controls your life. So what this means practically is that your money belongs to God. So you got to ask God, how much money... Do you want me to keep, God? Because it's your money. Not how much money do I have to give you. That's the difference between ownership and stewardship in your finances. So your money is God's money. Your dating relationship is God's. Your marriage is God's marriage. Your family is God's family. Your company is God's company. Your days are God's days. Your suffering is God's suffering. Your ministry is God's ministry. And this mindset of the steward means that when you are suffering, it will keep you from sin and selfishness, and it will put you in the spirit to serve. That, you know, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian uh, who goes through similar experiences is that it's only the Christian that goes through, can go through them with hope and joy. It's the perspective. They have a different perspective. Live as an exile in hope and have a different perspective. If you can reduce the suffering in your life, please do. But invariably, suffering will come. And when it does, I need you to know what to do with it and what not to do with it. So let me close by sharing a story about a man named Job. Job is a, a man that we, we hear about in the Old Testament who lost everything, everything except his life. He lost his house. He lost his family. He lost his livelihood. And do you know what his friends do? When they show up, what do his friends do? His friends show up and they said, you experienced all this suffering, what did you do? What caused all this suffering in your life? And he's like, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I don't know what could have caused all of this tragedy that is happening all around me. And they say, well, you know, I'm sure if there's suffering, there's something that you're doing that's wrong. There's some way you're sinning. Let me just say this, when we're dealing with people who are suffering, we need to be careful that we don't say things that aren't helpful, that we don't quote a scripture verse that's true but not helpful, that we don't assume that we know the reasons why they're in the midst of this suffering, that we aren't quick to make judgments about why they are where they are. We can do this, can't we, very easily with people around us who are going through tough times. We can rush to kind of a judgment. 
And what Peter is saying here is he's saying we need empathy, we need sympathy, we need the compassion, the hospitality to walk with people as they go through the shadow of the valley of death, right? We want people in our lives who are going to be present with us, who aren't going to say the first thing that comes to mind because they don't know what to say. That would be like me, you know? Um, we want people who are going to be there, who are going to maybe take scriptures eventually and try to help you uh, appropriately apply them in your life with what you're going through. And you know what? Um, we don't want to be those people that promise that everything's going to be happy on the other side, um, that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, because, you know, honestly, we don't know. We don't want to give false hope. We want to ask questions that are helpful. What are you going through? What are you feeling? How are you processing this, right? How can I help? How can I come alongside of you? And you know what? If the Holy Spirit is the helper and we have the Holy Spirit, God is calling us to be a helper in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through suffering. Let me not rush to a conclusion of what has happened. Let me get some understanding and then walk with you through it. You know, ultimately, Peter isn't writing a letter to a bunch of individuals sitting at home having a private quiet time. He's writing a letter to a people that are gathered, right, in person on Sundays throughout the week in homes that are living life with each other. And if you're suffering and you don't have anybody in your life to help you walk through the suffering, I want to encourage you today, get started, get connected. And if you're not suffering, I want to encourage you today, get started, get connected, because those times of suffering will come. And you know what? The only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. I want to share a story about Lori. Lori uh, was a woman in my congregation when I was a campus pastor in Albany for a church there. And Lori had a great life group. It met on Monday nights. They do dinner together. Um, it was like a second family to her. And Lori had a husband who uh, wasn't doing well. He was uh, battling a lung disease where he could hardly uh, move around the house without getting winded. And he was connected to oxygen 24-7. And one night, Lori got home from work, went to the garage, and saw that her husband had just committed suicide. Tremendous season of suffering for her. But you know what? That small group, that life group came around her, provided meals for her. They came over. They sat with her. They cried with her. They were there for her to process the pain. They were helpful. And so Peter's way of saying, it's Peter's way of saying, you know what? You guys need to help each other. You guys need to help each other walk through the suffering together to hold on to God's people. But not only to hold on to God's people, you need to hold on to Jesus. Listen, friends, Jesus has been through tremendous suffering. He understands what it's like. He understands your pain. And you know what? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you through it all. You can trust him. You can lean on him. Church family, you know, it's not enough just to have a few principles to live by. You got to 
find some people who you can live life with, and ultimately, you need a person who you can live for. If you're going through suffering, I want you to know I'm really sorry. I really am. But it's also an opportunity, so don't waste it. Invest it. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we come before you, and we... I don't know where everybody's at here this morning, but I do know that there are people here that are suffering. And some of them might be suffering in great ways. But God, we know from what Peter is saying, we don't have to walk in the flesh and sin, but that because you've given us your Holy Spirit, we can walk in the Spirit and serve. And so God, as we go through this suffering, help us to keep our mind on Christ, to follow in his footsteps, and help us to get some people around us who are gonna walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Thanks for this community that you placed us in. Help us to lean into that and to find those people, to turn to those people who are gonna be helpful in the midst of our pain. We love you. We thank you that you don't leave us alone. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.